Welcome to the Alien Burford Mason podcast. I'm Gavin McGarry. Today's episode is about the great protein debate, animal or vegetable, and how much do you need? Welcome, Aileen. Hi, Gavin. Good to be talking about this particular topic at this particular moment. Yes, protein is a very hot topic. But I want to start today's episode with a quote, as I know you love quotes. This one is from Walter Delamere and is called Miss T. Here's a few lines that are relevant to today's episode on protein. It's a very odd thing, as odd as can be, that whatever Miss T eats turns into Miss T. Eileen, why does this quote resonate with you? Yeah, uh, Walter Delamere wrote in his poems for children, and that was a, a children's poem. And it was really to try and encourage children to realize that whatever was on their dinner plate was going to be incorporated into their physical body. Mm -hmm. uh, their hair, their nails, their skin, etc., depended on what they ate. Uh, it was written for children, but very often I think that adults have forgotten that basic fact, mm -hmm. that our physical body is made of, grows with, is repaired by, is maintained with the food and the food components that we eat every day. So, you know, if it wasn't in our food, it's not in us, to the detriment of our health in general. And with particular reference to protein, the word for protein comes from the Greek for first. So basically, protein is the first nutrient we should think of, largely because we're protein from top to toe. Our hair, our skin, our nails, our muscles, our tendons and ligaments, uh, a huge component of bone is protein and probably the most overlooked component in keeping our bones healthy. Uh, the organs of our body are protein or the lining of our lungs. Blood is protein. It flows through blood vessels that are protein. Uh, the bladder the tendons, the ligaments that support these organs in our body, all these are protein, and they need to be maintained on a daily basis. So one thing I think, too, that uh, we should mention right off the bat is uh, protein is unique in that we don't store it. Okay. Uh, you, you, there's no carryover from yesterday's protein intake today. Mm-hmm. So what we don't pro, uh, what we don't use for our own metabolism, we convert into energy. So we don't have a storage site for it, and we need protein for two basic uh, requirements. One is what I've just mentioned: the maintaining of structures in the body, repairing. Uh, should we have surgery or grazes or anything? We have to repair our tissues, and that requires protein. But we also need it for our body's functioning. So protein breaks down into amino acids. That's the building blocks of protein. And nine of those are essential. In other words, we can't manufacture them from anything else we have in our body or diet. We have to take them in every day. Mm -hmm. Now, the amino acids, both the essential and the non-essential, they are the building blocks for molecules that keep us working, keep us functioning. So hormones like insulin and thyroxine, uh, neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin, 
uh, all the molecules of the anti of the uh, immune system, like antibodies, interferon. These are protein molecules, okay. and we don't store these. We need to make them as required, and therefore we need those building blocks circulating in our blood all the time. So, since some of these are needed for very basic. Um, 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 functions of the body, like keeping the heart beating, what happens if you don't store protein and you don't eat protein? Mm -hmm. Have you ever had a time when you felt unwell and you just wanted maybe tea and toast for three or four days was about as much as you could face? Yeah. So you were protein starved and within three days of not eating enough protein, you have to find those amino acids for the neurotransmitters and hormones, et cetera, from somewhere else. And what you start to do is break down your own muscle to release oh. those. So in other words, it's like a fallback position for the body. Okay, I can't survive without these molecules. Therefore, I'm going to rob Peter to pay Paul. <laughs> I'm going to keep the body functioning, but at the expense of losing muscle mass. Wow. Then why is dietary protein so controversial at the moment? It's it's very hard to fathom. I think uh, a lot of it is the usual thing we're talking about. There's misinformation or disinformation out there. Um, but I think part of it is to our failure to understand that to stay healthy through diet, it's very, very simple. It's not rocket science. There's two basic rules. One is get the bad stuff out. We've talked about that, the ultra-processed foods, etc. And make sure you get all the good stuff in. That's the bit that we don't focus on enough. Are we meeting our daily requirements? Not just for survival, that, that's the sort of bottom line, but also for, for really good health, for optimal health. And so we're forgetting that in looking at certain aspects of diet, like vegetables, vegetables and fruit, we've talked about this, how critically important they are for a healthy diet, and much more of them than we thought in the past. So we start to focus on vegetables and say, well, what about the protein? Oh, well, you can get some protein from vegetables. You can, but you have to eat an, a mountain of them to actually get the protein you get from animal sources. So I think we've neglected to look at how much protein you're getting if you turn uh, vegetarian or vegan, for example. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the controversies is uh, we can we can be vegetarian or vegan. And very often that's not just a scientific choice. It's basically, you know, for other reasons, maybe uh, maybe religion, in some cases religion en enters into it, or politics, or environment. There's, uh, you know, many good arguments to be made that we're not rearing animals correctly um, to maintain our environment properly. And so I understand those arguments, but it still doesn't get away from the fact that the body has basic requirements and we have to meet them. So I think this is why we've ended up with a lot of controversy around protein. So how much do we need every day? Like how much protein do we need? 
That's the other controversy, Gavin. That's a question of whether we go by official recommendations, which are based really on old scientific methods. So uh, both in your country and mine, um, we say that 0.8 of a gram of protein per kilogram body weight per day is what we require. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, that may be enough for survival. We, we can certainly survive on that. But there are more modern ways of looking at um, what our basic requirements for protein are. And there are international consortia that are making recommendations far in excess of that for total body health. So a good example is, um, and I love to talk about this, is the dependence of bone health on protein. Bones are built around a scaffolding, a honeycomb of protein. That's the core of bone. And that needs to be in good shape for the minerals. The minerals attached to that honeycomb. So the amount of protein required now to maintain the protein in our bones is now recognized as 1.2 grams. That's a 50% increase in what we're being told is sufficient. So we're not getting sufficient to maintain bone health, to, to maintain the, the protein component of bone. So what if anybody likes to look into this, there's some fine illustrations uh, on the internet. You can, can Google this and, and look at an image of osteoporosis. You'll see beside it a healthy bone, and in the center, the core of it is this honeycomb of protein. And then you'll see an osteoporotic bone, and there'll be gaps in the protein, holes. And of course, you can't add minerals to thin air. So that becomes a fracture risk area. So it's the breakdown of, of the maintenance or the lack of maintenance of protein in the bone that can be a major component in de the development of weak bones or osteoporosis. And that's really been overlooked in recommendations, but it's 50% more than we're being told at the moment we need. I, I want to ask, it seems that women suffer from osteoporosis more than men. Is that because they're not getting enough protein? No, it's okay. not at all. I, it could be, but we have to remember that bones are made of many, many elements. All of the essential nutrients are required to make healthy bones. We get focused on calcium and vitamin D. I wish that was all we needed for healthy bones. Okay. So we'll say vitamin D and calcium and protein. Is that enough? No, it's not enough. We need B12. We need omega-3 fats. We need vitamin C. We need all of these together to be building strong bones. Um now, you were talking a lot of numbers there, you know, 0.2 of a kilogram, 0.8 of a kilogram. Is there a way you could break it down so that any of the people that are listening could easily understand how much protein they need to eat for yeah, I, a meal? I think it, that it does get to the point where you have to do a little bit of calculation yourself. And it doesn't do any harm to look up some food tables. But the the rough gauge, remember, it will go by kilogram body weight. So what we're recommending for a 100-pound um, woman and a 250-pound man is different. 
Um, but just when we take the standard person, we usually talk about, you know, like 140, 150 pounds um, individual. If we talk about 30 grams of protein three times a day, that is much more than we've been told. Now, there is a reason why. How much is, the, how much is 30 grams? I guess it 30 is. grams is uh, a chicken breast would be 30 grams. Okay. Um, you know, uh, a good sized piece of fish, um, a good fillet of fish, because some of them are very skinny fillets of fish. Um, so that would be um, 30 grams. But the content, the protein content of foods varies a lot. So people will often say to me, so I eat egg, an egg for breakfast uh, to get my protein. And that's good. But eggs are not high in protein. They're high in many good nutrients, uh, especially make sure you have the egg yolk. But the white is where the protein is. And an egg is six grams of protein. Oh, wow, okay. So you, need, you need a lot of eggs to... Yeah, well, very often... It, rather than eat a lot of eggs, what I usually recommend is people say make a two-egg omelet. You can in, that's only twelve grams of protein. So there are a number of ways you can enhance the protein content. You can buy separated egg whites now, and you can whip those in to make up the bulk. Again, you're having to do a little bit of calculation at the beginning, read labels, etc. Or you can add some unflavored whey protein powder and whip that in to make your omelette. Or you could add some protein into the omelette to uh, some chicken or, uh, or a bit of salmon or something like that to make it richer in protein. But at the beginning, I think you've got to get a feel for how much protein that would be. And breakfast is the one usually people have a problem with because we've got very used, because of our you know, being in North America, being world leaders in fast foods, we want a fast breakfast. So breakfast in a box became the breakfast of choice. So cereals, uh, maybe a little bit of protein in the milk that you add, but not much. And so we've got used to a low protein breakfast, which is not true of many other uh, nationalities. In Europe, for example, they'll often have a high protein breakfast. How, how do, you know, just as a little bit of a tangent, how do some of the vegetarian cultures, cultures that are, you know, quite vegetarian, how do they get their protein? Well, there is protein in vegetables. That's absolutely the case. Um, and I heard one, uh, one well-known doctor on the television defending um, vegetables in terms of their protein content. Um, he was showing lots of very delicious vegetable dishes and saying how delicious a vegetarian diet could be. Absolutely, I agree, and I love beautifully prepared vegetable dishes. Um, but a dietitian asked him, so I, I'm a bit concerned about the lack of protein here in these fruits. And he said, don't you realize that spinach is 50% protein? And actually, that's true. You might not believe it, but spinach is 50% protein. But spinach is very low calorie. How much spinach would you have to eat to get the same amount of protein as in your chicken breast? How much? And you wouldn't be able to tolerate it. It would be a mountain of spinach. Well, I, you know, I always put the spinach in 
and you know, you I put in my spinach to boil it, and you know, I put in like a huge stack, and it it, it boils down to like nothing. nothing. Yes, exactly. So, 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 so like, if if you were saying spinach, like, how many cups of spinach would I need to eat, just just out of curiosity? Well, in order to I, get... you'd have to do the calculation when we're not chatting because I have never done it, but I do know it'd be you know a, a huge mountain of spinach. Whether it's cooked or uncooked, and you and and just in case people don't hear our other podcasts, you, you mentioned on one of the other podcasts that you don't want to be eating spinach raw. You want to be eating it when it's been sort of steamed. Well, there is a problem with uh, spinach and and kale to a certain extent too, and it's a quite uh, a sort of uh, uh, fashionable at the moment to talk about anti nutrients. So anti-nutrients are chemicals in certain natural foods that can bind minerals into a form where they can't be absorbed properly. And so there are anti-nutrients in spinach which are removed by cooking. So I never grew up eating a spinach salad. I grew up with spinach as a vegetable, but it was always cooked. So therefore, there, there were, the anti-nutrients were, were gone. Right. Uh, so we have to wonder about uh, people who eat a lot. Uh, I know people who eat a large spinach salad every lunchtime as their lunch because they think it's a lot of vegetables, which is good. And also it's low in calories and it's bulky and they feel they've had a good lunch, but maybe they're not getting, they're having other disadvantages through the, the presence of these anti-nutrients. So getting us back on track, you know, there's a lot of talk about, or one of the questions I had is, do or North Americans eat too much protein? Because I've heard that high protein diets can be harmful. And it is true here in North America, specifically in some of the states, they eat a lot of meat, they eat a lot of protein. Is it, it Can that be bad for you? Is this true? Yes. I mean, there's always, you know, there's always excessive you know, anything. As they say, the dose makes the poison. Um, so basically, too much protein uh, has, first of all, been falsely accused uh, in healthy people of causing long-term uh, kidney damage. Yeah. And that has been disproven over and over again. Yes, it does make the kidneys work a little harder when you have a high-protein diet, um, but we're not necessarily talking about very, very high protein. But there is plenty of evidence that the only people who have to be careful about protein, um, as far as their kidneys are concerned, are those with pre-existing kidney problems. And then they would be under the care of a doctor um, who was prescribing a certain amount of protein and no more, knowing how much their kidneys could cope with. But in healthy people, that doesn't seem to be an issue at all. The other thing that we often hear is, I've just said how important protein is for bone, but you hear the argument that actually what protein will do, because it's acidic, you'll draw calcium from your bone to neutralize that a high acid load. And that is not the case. And so there's no evidence that your calcium is changing at all uh, when, on, on a higher protein diet. What is the problem with too much protein, though, is we do have a threshold above which um, we know this is excess protein. So we need a certain amount of protein for our own personal metabolism. 
if we go beyond that, uh, supposing, you know, uh, this is very theoretical because I doubt it if, if, if you would do it, but supposing you were having a 10-ounce steak three times a day. What? Steak, steak and eggs for breakfast and, you know. Um, so that would be too much uh, at one meal. And so what would happen to the excess? When we take in more than our bodies need, um, something has to happen to the remainder. It just doesn't disappear in a puff of smoke. It, it, it has a cost. And what happens to excess protein is what happens to any excess food. It gets converted into energy, into glucose. And so then that gets converted into fat, stored as fat. Okay. So basically, we don't want excess protein. But because earlier I mentioned the two functions of protein, one building and repairing, maintaining our tissues, and the other providing these amino acids for us to function. So we need those circulating all through the day. And it's been a North American practice to save protein for dinner time. Mm. Well, it'd be nice to function well after dinner, but wouldn't it also be nice to function well after breakfast and after lunch? Mm -hmm. So um, the ideal now is seen for body maintenance and uh, repair, but also functionality is to have, for this standard person we're talking about, about 30 grams breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And in that way, we keep the amino acid levels high in our blood because they are going to be needed literally split sometimes. If our blood sugar goes too high, we have to make insulin now, not tomorrow, but hmm. now. And so we need the amino acids to do that. Well, let's talk about protein and weight or protein and diets. You know, a lot of people are dieting. They move to these keto type diets to lose weight. How does, how does that all work with protein and weight? Well, we've known for a long time now um, that higher, protein, uh, higher calories from protein compared to carbohydrates helps with weight loss and the maintenance of weight loss. So going back to these international recommendations now that say that we need 50% uh, more, 1.2 grams per kilogram body weight uh, to have healthy bones, they're saying 1.6 grams per kilogram body weight is what helps us lose weight and maintain it, maintain the weight loss. So that seems sort of counterintuitive, doesn't it? Like more protein equals more weight loss. What? People often make the mistake of saying, you know, oh, there's calories in this protein. I'm, I'm going to cut back on, they cut back on everything. And cutting back on the protein doesn't help with weight loss and weight maintenance. So in a ketogenic diet, a ketogenic diet, I think there's a lot of ways we, we, we could emulate a ketogenic diet without going to that extreme because mm. there really is little concern about too much protein or too much fat. And I think you can have both in, in excess in some of the ways the ketogenic diet is used. There's no advantage to the ketogenic diet that isn't also seen with no sugar, low starch diets, which are I ideal for health and for weight maintenance and weight loss. 
So, um, you know, I think the protein source uh, is important. The protein amount is important. And the division of the protein throughout the day, you know, I said 30 grams three times a day, but that might be 20 grams at breakfast and 10 grams at a snack. You know, it doesn't, as long as it's spread out over the course of the day, then uh, I think we're okay. I wanted to do just a little bit of math using me uh, so that people can maybe hear this as we wind down here, because I only have a couple more questions for you. But I'm uh, about 175 pounds, pounds, which is about 80 kilograms. Right. And you're saying that I should eat uh, 0.8 of a gram of protein per kilogram of body weight, right? So for me, so if I That's the bare minimum. That's yeah. the minimum. So if I do 80 times 0.8, right? That would be 64. So I would require 64 grams a day is what you're talking about. Just not to be protein deficient. That's not optimal. Okay. And if I was overweight and I needed to lead, uh, lose weight, then I would almost, so I would do the 80 kilograms times 1.6, right? Which is a lot, what you were saying. Yeah. I would now require 128 grams a day, right, which right. if I divide that by three, that would mean that almost 42 grams of protein. Right. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes, I am saying that. Wow. And really what you have to do is, is look at food tables because the protein content, like protein food like chicken, you know, gram per gram, it's not 100% protein. Right. You have to have a look at the food tables to see how much. And that leads me, and I think it's important that we mention it before we wind up, is to mention the difference between vegetable protein and animal protein. There are rich sources of vegetable protein, particularly the legumes like chickpeas and lentils, etc. And soy, soy is a, it has all of the essential amino acids in it. So it is a good protein source, provided you eat enough of it. And you have to look right. at the label to see how many grams you're actually eating. So one of the problems with the chickpeas, for example, is you have to eat a lot. So if you have a sort of modest chicken breast to eat the equivalent in chickpeas, you're talking about more than two cups, which people don't eat. And if they did, they tend to feel very uncomfortable afterwards with a lot of gas <laughs> and bloating. So they don't like it. So, and also the difference in calories would be, say, 140 grams roughly for the chicken breast and anything up to 500 uh, sort of um, calories, 140 calories for the small chicken breast, uh, anything up to 500 calories for the chickpeas. So you're adding more calories, which means there's more work for the body to do, which means more vitamins and minerals are used up. So what usually happens is that people either underdo the protein if they're just looking at vegetarian sources or overdo the calories. All right, just to end off, could you give people an idea of if they don't want to eat meat, what uh, are some of the the... the I guess the vegetables that you would recommend. I mean, you talk about chickpeas and I think you've spoken in the past about red kidney beans. Are, are there things that people can focus on? And 
is red meat better than uh, than than chicken or lamb? Is there is there a little bit of breakdown from that standpoint? Getting the protein and well, then all... the, we talk about high quality protein, and high quality protein contains all the essential amino acids, which apart from tofu, very few of the vegetable sources do, and they need to be mixed and matched to get all of the essential amino acids. Oh, so to tofu is it's is is a, a complete good protein. Absolutely, it's a complete protein. Um, but you know, the quality of the protein also includes its digestibility. Can you break it down fast and release those amino acids that you need? And animal protein seems to win out on on those fronts as well. So, uh, in other words, you know, you get all the amino acids you need. You get them quickly into the bloodstream. So that you can quickly make, you know, dopamine to keep your brain upbeat and happy and focused and concentrating, um, etc. And the type of protein, um, I guess that, that I would say is that you people want to be eating pasture raised. They want to spend a lot of money on their meats. If they're going to eat meat, or even if they're going to eat vegetables, you want organic vegetables. You want to try and get pasture raised meat. Right. You you. You want to get the best sources you possibly can. Well, it's again a question of garbage in equals garbage out. If you have animals that are lot raised, that are fed on diets that are not natural to the the, the animal itself, um, then of course, uh, you know, you are going to change the nature of that meat. So I think it is, if people can afford it, it's important to. Uh, just spend money on getting the best quality um, where the animals are not subjected to a lot of hormones and chemicals uh, to keep them healthy in an unhealthy environment. Uh, they're not fed foods that they naturally wouldn't eat in the wild, um, and they are fed, fed their natural diet. The, the nature of the protein of grass-fed beef uh, is very different from conventionally reared beef. It, it, it has a fat profile that's much more similar to salmon with more mm. of the omega-3 fats in it. So basically, paying as much as you can afford. Um, but if you can't afford the high-quality protein meats, there are options. And for, for example, those people who I work with who are vegetarian or vegan, we use a lot of protein powders. It's not ideal, but it is a way of making sure the body gets everything it requires. Because if your diet falls short of some of these essentials, eventually you're going to run into trouble. Eventually. Mm -hmm. And I guess the last thing that we'll end off on is that, do you want to just quickly go through a day and give an idea of like what people, what a, a typical breakfast, typical lunch, a typical dinner might look like that you would think would be worthwhile? The reason where I wanted you to start is that you have talked to me before about um, using shakes and how important shakes can be to getting the nutrients that you need in the morning. But I thought just to end off this protein discussion um, about uh, some ideas that people can right. take away that and you know this is this is um, you know always the problem. How do I actually do this? And breakfast, I think, is a problem for most people because we have to recognize the fact that people live different lives today. There isn't someone in the kitchen all day preparing food, unless you're really, really lucky. Um, but you know what we need to do is think of 
how we could get those essentials into us in an easy way that doesn't disrupt the flow of our work life, etc. So shakes can be a way um, of preparing breakfast. You can even do them the night before, but they can be quickly whizzed up. You can get extra vegetables. All diets should be vegetable and fruit-based. That's really the core. We, we get so many benefits from them, we can't ignore them. So you could get two or even three servings in a smoothie in the morning. But what people often forget is two things. One, you need some form of fat to absorb those phytochemicals from the fruits and vegetables. And that could be in the form of throwing some avocado in there or some almond butter, it, you know, any source of fat. It doesn't have to be a lot. The other is the protein. So the thing about a, a smoothie for breakfast is it should contain protein powder. That's the only way to make it balanced. And so whey protein is the protein that has the best research on it. And I'm a, a, a firm believer that we can benefit from that. The only thing I'd say about a shake is it doesn't stay in the stomach very long. And often people feel hungrier sooner after a shake. Other people tell me, no, they, it's fine. Once they have their breakfast shake, they go right through to lunch without a problem. Another type of breakfast, which I encourage too, is um, that we would take a base like yogurt and build into it um, fruits uh, and some form of fiber, um, like uh, ground flaxseed. I love, and it's very often ignored, uh, unsweetened shredded coconut as a source of fiber. Add that, yeah. uh, nuts and seeds and extra protein powder because there won't be sufficient in uh, the yogurt. Some quite high protein content yogurts are out there, but you have to read the label and realize what you have to add to it to bring up the level. So that sort of a breakfast can work. If you've got leisure time at the weekend, you know, you can have a relaxing breakfast with a two egg omelet with more protein added to it through egg whites or protein powder. Um, and that would be a breakfast. Or you can add chunks of uh, chicken breast or whatever uh, to the, the omelet when you're cooking it. Lunch and dinner really are not a, <clears throat> excuse me, not a problem. They're more or less structured the same way. And most people know, if they think about eating well at all, they know how to have a good dinner. They know that they need their protein, they know they need their vegetables and a little bit of starch. So um, that sort of um, balance, uh, vegetables and a protein source for lunch and dinner, often people will leave out the starch from lunch because it makes them feel a little bit sleepy. And so that's not a problem after dinner because you're going to go to bed soon and, you know, it's good to be sleepy and, uh, you know, couch potato after dinner. Um, not so much after lunch when you've got the rest of the day's work to complete. Again, thank you so much. Uh, very interesting. And I'm sure there's going to be lots of uh, questions and concerns that we will address in future episodes. Our next episode, we'll be talking about episode five, which is vitamin D. Why is this vitamin so controversial? So please uh, feel free to listen to that. For more information on Aileen, her work and her books, go to her website, aileenburfordmason.ca. That's Aileen 
Burford Mason, all one word, dot C-A. Thanks for listening. Bye for now, Gotham. <laughs>